We are live. We are live. Do we all sound okay, yeah? Yeah. We sound fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's everybody drinking this eve? I am drinking vodka with uh, ice and a slice. Ice and a slice, And uh, lime-flavoured, low-calorie soda water because my life is just a constant ride. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a basic bitch on Prosecco tonight. Vegan Prosecco. Nice. Yeah. I'm on, you, savvy, I'm on the savvy bay. The savvy bay. I'm on the savvy bay. It's <laughs> happening. Am I a lot louder than everyone else? No, you're yeah. like the same. Okay, cool. That's just... I mean, in real life or in here? <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd love for this podcast is if you could both just critique my character as a friend. That'd be brilliant. Hello bookworms, welcome to Bookmarks and Booze, where we believe if you're going to slag off a book, do it accurately. Join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews. Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and spoilers. trigger warning this week we will be discussing murder sexual assault and transphobia if this week isn't for you we welcome you back next week this week we are focusing on robert galbraith's aka jk rowling's new thriller troubled blood the book sold almost sixty-five thousand copies in just five days following release earning it a number one spot in the uk book charts Trouble Blood has faced widespread criticism on the author's decision to include the character Dennis Creed, a serial killer who dresses in women's clothing. Rowling has made previous comments about the trans community, notably an essay she wrote for her blog. This, combined with the controversy surrounding Trouble Blood, sparked a hashtag RIP JK Rowling to trend on Twitter and users encouraging mass burnings of the novel. Rowling has chosen not to comment on the controversy. So when I was looking up reviews for this, I found that as of the 11th of April, when I looked at this, it actually had quite good reviews, um, which Mm. I was, (laughs) I don't want to sound too surprised, but it was released obviously in September 2020. And on Goodreads, it averaged 4.3 out of 5. And on Amazon, it averaged 4.7 out of 5, which I thought was personally a little generous, but there we go. On Goodreads, it had 62,002 ratings, 96% of which were between three and five stars. Yeah, so people had a lot to say. So what did you guys think? Did you actually like the book overall? You know what? So I think that if it had been written by someone else that didn't have the history that Rowling has, Mm. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, For me, I think it was definitely tainted because I know her views. Um, So it kind of took away from the book for me. I wouldn't say it was badly written, though. What do you think? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I should preface and I've mentioned this to Emma in the past by saying that I'm not her biggest fan. Um, So for me, it was quite a slog to get through. It was so long. Like, I just couldn't get over it. It's 928 pages on the Kindle app. It was just so long. And and for me, like, that just killed it. It made it so hard to get through. Emma, what did you think? Yeah, I I kind of get I get where you're coming from. I think a lot of the reviews I looked at were um, the, so many of them criticised it for being too long and were saying, like, every single scene was so extended. But I can see why she did it, because I think it was trying to, like, there were so many red herrings. There were so many things that were trying to divert you to who the killer could be. But I think she overdid it a bit. So all the stuff about the astrology and Talbot's, like, book yeah. went on and on and on and on. Like, all these different, like, and, and strike was getting annoyed with it and I was like I don't I don't particularly like Strike I think he's a smelly disgusting he never brushes his teeth smelly. he never washes and apparently he's attractive and it's like and his crooked broken nose and his puby hair and it's like okay well not attractive so I, I thought he was a bit of a dick and then literally when he's like you know I saw her bend over the desk and I thought Whoa, and I was like oh, for fuck's sake he's vile like you know what vile. I was gonna say like well he's not gonna write in I was about to defend him there I was gonna say you know, she's not going to write in every time the guy takes a shower because that's not, that's not interesting. But have you noticed the woman loves to talk about every single time a character goes for, as she puts it, a pee. 
She writes it so yeah, quickly. She, does she went for a pee, got a coffee, <laughs> solved the crime. I didn't yeah. even, I didn't I even register just, that. She just spoke so much about how they hadn't washed or hadn't brushed their teeth or whatever. And she stopped short of saying his ball sweat like dripped down it was that like for me i remember it being that disgusting how often they didn't wash maybe i'm just being fussy about it but i just found the whole thing really bizarre and then there's supposed to be a romance (laughs) i reckon they could have lost 350 pages of that quite comfortably you know between the sweaty balls and the coffees (laughs) i just and i know that I know that this is kind of her style like and I think it works really well when you're creating a world like you know the Potter world where every little detail is different than reality or you know contemporary fic but when you're actually writing a contemporary fiction you know whatever genre that is I don't need to know the mundane details of their life I'm living in a mundane detail yeah. oriented life <laughs> you know what, what I, I think, read for I think that's what it is like I can see why she did it because Rowling like when you think about Harry Potter she builds worlds and develops characters in a way that is just ingenious I think she's an ingenious writer but the and I get that she wanted to set the scene and have the tiredness and the emotional struggle and all of this sacrifice that they're putting into this job and Robin at the start of the other books is like she's about to marry Matthew and she's like living this kind of fake life where she's very prim proper and polished and she's you know gonna be Matthew's wife and they live in this house but she has the secret want to be a detective and then she ends up giving it all up working for strike and Matthew hates it and he wants her to be this like perfect wife and she's just never gonna you know she's not being true to herself that way so I can get why she plays up the whole kind of real-time interviews and conversations and the complexity of the work but it does get quite mundane and, and very kind of miserable after a while very oh, like, it was dour so you know negative. so Sally T on Amazon gave it one star calling it disappointing <laughs> with an exclamation mark I am returning this book due to its ridiculous size nearly 1.35 kilos <laughs> crazy <laughs> bloody hell. I know it's heavy as fuck and <laughs> but I would say that I like there were p- sections of it where I was gripped how much is 1.5 kilograms how much did one of your tits wasted it's got to be at least 1.5 kilograms seven pounds I'm pregnant with <laughs> they're a stone as a team the two of them together <laughs> Stone as a team. I'm actually just going to calculate how many. I know that J.K. Rowling's books. One of your tits weighs. Hang on. Mm. (laughs) This could be our new metric. My man got drunk one night together and weighed our boobs. And she wants to listen to this podcast, and she's going to hate me for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) So J.K. Rowling's troubled blood is um, 19 percent of the weight of your tit. And I mean, that's too much. I mean, okay, li- dear listeners, dear bookworms, you've not seen Sid's tits yet, <laughs> but they are rather large. I, I don't know whether it helped that I listened to it rather than read it because I know. How that did you lot- listen to those fucking accents, though? Well, this is it, though. A lot of people were saying that the she she sort of phonetically wrote out the accents and it irritated a lot of people so if you had someone that was cockney she'd write at the syllables governor and do that kind of shit which i would really struggle with i i quite enjoyed the accents i'm easily pleased you know (laughs) see i quite like phonetic accents i don't know if that makes me a basic bitch i don't care but I, i do enjoy them when i'm reading because I, I think it does sort of let you immerse yourself in the story. Personally, a lot of people say they find it distracting. If you're listening to the audiobook, the narrator has to emulate someone who has a disability. Yep. Yes. Can we talk about the Athorn family, please? Because that <laughs> yeah. was so offensive. And it's not even the first time, again, referencing the previous books, just for our own reference. <laughs> not the first the time she's portrayed someone who has a learning disability like and then the poor guy had to read like oh it, it was wasn't so great to listen to i didn't get that far into the audiobook because i just absolutely gave up with it but because it was driving me fucking mental i remember when we were just sort of overviewing this and emma you were like is is she just generally offensive and i think <laughs> the answer probably is <laughs> without possibly meaning to to give her the benefit of the doubt maybe one of the main things she wants to cover in the book is that this idea of identity and stereotype 
it reminded me a lot of the Cho Chang thing from Harry Potter, like how it was just like the most lazy stereotype ever. Like when they introduced lazy Dr. Work. Gupta and they're like, oh, he looked just like Gandhi. And I'm like, ah, oh, what? Like, it's so lazy. <laughs> She's undeniably a very good writer in places. I mean, she has flashes of this great use of language. Like she was describing Irene's house and she put like oppressively over decorated and I could just visualize that house yeah. and so I think it just makes the other stuff less excusable they called it amateurish the LA Times and I thought that was so accurate like it is quite amateurish it felt so like this whole strike like doesn't know how to buy gifts for his family thing and like yeah I was like, oh come on like oh what well, he doesn't play by the rules does he he's you know <laughs> ex-army oh wow he gets top, damn it there are so many glorious reviews on this to be fair i think the most fair one i read was actually on goodreads um uh, by chandrima das who rated it three stars i think that for me is fair with this one and it says rowling has successfully hoodwinked two sets of people those who rated and reviewed the novel as being about um air quotes transvestite serial killers without reading it and those who thought anything that comes out of her pen is pure gold again without reading it good job there there's been a lot of hoopla about this there's been a lot of people that have left reviews that haven't read the book um and there have been a lot of people that have just sort of blindly followed her into her next book um and I just think that you know to have so much success from a book that is ultimately quite offensive or lazy at the very best offensive at the very worst I just think that yeah my favorite review was the one that said longer than Moby Dick and not as fun because I speed read it and thought it said longer than my dick and not as fun (laughs) 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 that is actually one of two of my also favorite overall reviews my my favorite overall was by mama bear 19 with the title Jesus Joanne (laughs) 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 and the actual one star review was Perfect for the Gammon Brigade. Don't buy this. <laughs> the Gammon Brigade. That oh. was so fucking harsh. Speaking yeah. of dicks, what did we think? <laughs> what did we think about the bit where the guy uh, Morris sends her the dick pic? Mm. I actually quite. That was one of the bits of the book I didn't hate because I. I mean, Morris was again a stereotypical office twat. Oh wow, you know, I liked the way she reacted to it. I think, you know, calling him and saying, like, why the hell do you think that that's acceptable to send a dick pic to your boss um, is something that I hope women do. (laughs) I feel like Um, I would definitely have fallen for Saul, like, hook, line and sinker. I would have been his prime, like, territory, just like a lonely girl at the bar. And he's like, can I buy you a drink? And I'm like, I'm yours. Really, like, oh, he sounds like, ooh, a hot guy from the office. Then he was actually an arsehole. I was like, I fell for that. (laughs) Do you remember that time? Did I send you the guy? (laughs) Sorry, the guy that had pop arted his dick and said, No, (laughs) it's one of my favorite stories. Oh my god, sorry. Please tell it from the start. Tell it from the start. The guy that thought, you know, I could just send her a dick pic, but I've got this cool little filter here where I can replicate my dick four times in different primary <sighs> colours and do a, a pop art no. montage of, of my penis. And that'll that'll <laughs> really get her going. I've <laughs> anti Andy Warhold it and so she'll <laughs> think I'm cultured. <laughs> I literally, I can't put on a figure-hugging T-shirt and this guy is just out there with the brass balls for <laughs> his own penis and send it to a prospective partner. No, no, not do. <laughs> that is the most incredible thing. I just your mind. So much confidence. That is... And oh, obviously dear. I wanked myself into a frenzy afterwards, but that's not the point. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> One things I wanted to, to briefly say about just one last thing about the identity thing was um, the reason why I brought it up and it, it, I, I kind of wanted to discuss it is that Robin very clumsily at the beginning, which I thought for Rowling was a bit kind of not so subtle, talks about self-identity theory and self-categorization theory as some of the things she learned on her psychology course. And it's basically a theory that 
your identity is based on your alignment with the social group and that you have like less unique self characteristics. It's more about who you associate with. And thinking about the dick pic, you know, she gets so viscerally angry in a very satisfying way because you're like, oh, yeah, she should be angry at it. Like, I'm not sure I've ever reacted to a dick pic in that way. And I realized that I should be able to shout at someone and say, how dare you send me that? And not like, oh, thanks. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. How do you even react? It's so funny. It sat with this idea that people in the book are trying to find their identity so robin always searching for the fucking perfume and all of that like oh this scent doesn't quite and one of the scents she picks up is chanel chance fresh which i wear and she's like it smells like deodorant i was like no it doesn't it's very nice i wear that i've worn it for years you bitch (laughs) so no I think it's about like who you are and your identity and who you see yourself as. And then other people see you as different. And it makes them very angry when people see them in a way that isn't how they identify. So Robin, when she gets sent the salted caramel chocolates twice by Morris and Strike, and she gets so fucking angry about it. because She's like, it's not who I am, you know. And I thought that was quite interesting, really. I can see how she's trying to bring in that idea of finding who you are and, and you know, distancing yourself from necessarily being pigeonholed into who you're hanging out with or whatever and finding your true self but that doesn't mean you can just lazily stereotype people you know that's not really true to life this is the thing and she's such a capable character creator and that again is a frustrating thing it's like had she created a really nuanced character that you know wasn't just a lazy stereotype that that had more depth and then had gone around and and look you know this is them questioning their identity or developing in their identity or growing as a, a person through the process you know that would have been a great book I think that was why also like the ending just riled me as well I mean okay so long story short this has riled me this book (laughs) (laughs) but the the end when she like is looking through the tarot cards just before she goes to see strike and then the last one is love I was just like I'm gonna throw that book so lazy it was literally like you could see it coming a mile off couldn't you and it reminded me of the end of the deathly hallows when they're like all at the station and you know they're like oh you know waiting and it's always not all nice (laughs) with their children it's like life isn't like that joanne like just (laughs) it doesn't all end happy like especially not in a crime thriller series and you know if she's on book five now i don't i just don't know does every book end that way because you've read Mm. some of them haven't you most of them now the last uh, one that I read, which was um, A Career of Evil, and I'm now on to Lethal White, the, that one ended kind of a bit pathetically. Like, you know, she's at her wedding and Strike comes in and knocks stuff over and she's reading her vows and she does a, she says, I do, while looking at Strike and staring at him and beaming. And everyone at the church is disgusted because Strike's come in and he's all beat up because he's just, you know, f- he's just found the killer and he's all this. Getting results. Yeah, and he's just getting, getting results and breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> he takes the rule book and throws it out the window. Book, well, he was just out getting results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not like Strike. He's a he's literally just a clunky dick. I liked him, but I'm a terrible. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're bad. Taste. I can't say we have bad taste in men now. <laughs> We're all like married yeah. or engaged. Well, I was in but... Saul Morris. I was like, well, in fairness, you know. <laughs> He reminded me of a few guys I've worked with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've all, we've all, uh, we've all worked with that guy. There's the other side of it that you know she's writing to the masses, so making accessible characters versus making on point but maybe slightly less accessible characters. I think that there's definitely Mm. an element Um there. And I wonder if she's trying to be subversive in itself by presenting characters that are on PC, you know, like Strike does forget gifts and, and all of this and is a typical bloke. And that's kind of now, you know, quite a subversive thing to say in a book because it's not that woke or whatever. I feel like if it was that there would have been a way she could have displayed that because, I, I you know, again, you read other books and it's like, oh, OK, I, I get like kind of what you're trying to do here. But there's these characters in here that are sort of challenging the status quo by being a part of the status quo um mm. but at the same time there's always a little hint in there for the reader that that's what's going on whereas this was just kind of like and he got up and barely all he can cook is spaghetti you know <laughs> it's just like <laughs> for fuck's sake. so we've avoided the elephant in the room so far yes we have. which 
which is the big one? Well, I have been looking into this. I had a long old think about this because essentially after I finished the book, as much as I didn't dislike it as much as you guys did, it did leave a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And I was trying to figure out why that was. And I think it's probably because I found it really difficult to separate the art from the artist. So when asked about her inspiration for Creed, Rowling said that it was loosely based on two real life killers, uh, Jerome Brudos and David Russell Williams. Various sources I found whilst researching Burdos described him as having a transgender period. um, But before and after this time, he identified as male. So I will be using male pronouns to describe him. Jerome Brudos was an American serial killer and necrophile who committed the murders of at least four women in Oregon. Brudos would go on nighttime raids to steal shoes and lace underwear. He would later dress in women's clothing to commit crimes. Brudos kept the shoes, underwear and bodies of his victims in a garage and would dress up in high heels and masturbate after he committed a murder. Uh, David Williams is a convicted murderer of Jessica Lloyd and Corporal Marie-France Comor. He is also a former decorated colonel in the Canadian forces. Evidence shows that he broke into at least 82 houses to steal the underwear of women and children. This behaviour later escalated to sexual assaults, rapes and murders. Following arrests, he told police that they could find evidence in his Ottawa home, including hidden keepsakes and photographs he took of the victims and of himself modelling in their underwear. In the searches of his home, police discovered stolen lingerie that was neatly stored, catalogued and concealed. So obviously it's pretty clear to see here there's a lot of similarities between these real life killers and Creed. There's obviously a bunch of other real life notable criminals who dressed in women's clothing like Ed Gein, who made a mother suit, wanted to become his mother with human skin. So there are cases in which this seems to be an MO for a lot of different killers. There is also a litany of fictional cross-dressing villains, uh, including the aforementioned Leatherface and Norman Bates. There is also him, the cross-dressing devil from the Powerpuff Girls, who, let's be honest, is pretty great. And of course, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, who's based on real-life serial killer Gary M. Hindnick. Uh, With the exception of Brudos and possibly Buffalo Bill, none of the real-life people or characters I just mentioned openly identify as trans, including Rowling's Dennis Creed. Him from the Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful, subversive character. But it's interesting, though, isn't it, that like characters like him, even though he is the literal devil, so I mean, I'm sure Christian parents wouldn't agree, but were received generally quite positively. And then you've obviously got, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, the... The, the protagonist of that is a sweet transvestite and like <laughs> that's that's a cult masterpiece everyone loves rocky horror picture show but you know the guys that the guys the baddie in it the whole tone of the book changes when you take into account the fact that she has been tweeting a lot of of pretty turfy shit like mercilessly yeah, yeah. and i mean also the fact that he wasn't the killer in the end anyway. You know, why does it have to be a man in women's clothing and why does that have to be the case for the killer when it actually has no bearing on the killer whatsoever? You know, you could draw more on, you know, the Harold Shipmans, for examples, when it actually turns out that's more of a theme for who the killer was in the end anyway. Um, and it just takes on a bit of a darker connotation when you know her views on, on the trans community and, and, mm. and her general sort of transphobic comments. I mean, it's interesting to see the reviews because obviously the Goodreads reviews got flooded with people who are quite obviously trans activists who didn't read the book and went on there and said, J.K. Rowling's disgusting and she's anti-trans and don't read this book and you shouldn't be giving her money and all of this. Yeah, so many. Which I agree with, but I don't think you should be writing a book review on a book you haven't read at the same time. And I think it is, for me, it was transphobic, but there's a lot more depth to why it's transphobic to me than purely, Mm. you know, one of the, the... the Telegraph review, which was the first that came out, the Jake Carriage one, was um, the the big headline from that was the moral seems to be never trust a man in a dress. Whereas the ones, the reviews that defend Rowling a lot are saying that it's massively overblown by all these woke people and that if you blink, you'll miss the fact that he was a cross-dresser and he purely did it just to lure people in and make women feel comfortable. But my, my issue with that is... It's this idea that he cross-dresses. He uses it specifically as a threat to women. And this is exactly Mm. what she covers in her essay, that male-to-female trans women 
are performing femininity not because they feel like they are are women and that's who they truly are but because it, their, their performance is a specific threat to other women and she references you know the the whole this whole stupid right-wing uh, just bollocks that they always spout about trans people that there's going to be men pretending to be women walking into toilets um and and raping women they always use that example they say oh if you have gender neutral toilets there's going to be rape everywhere and all of this and there's more u.s senators that have been convicted of rape in a public bathroom than there are trans people that have been convicted of rape in a public bathroom. So I think this is the crux of why, for me, it's transphobic. Secondly, what you raised, Sid, about the, the murderers she's, she's based it on, that it's a, there's a, some kind of sexual deviance about it. And it's the same sexual deviance that homophobic people use. Like one of the, there is a, a, a male member of my family who I'm not going to name, who always says uh, about um, people who are gay, he says, uh, uh, you know, first it was uh, illegal, now it's legal and soon it will be bloody compulsory. <laughs> Is what he That's says it. about oh my <laughs> god the most like waspish ridiculous thing in life. Like, like oh yeah, they're really going to force like you an old man. Like the gays are going to be queuing up to force you to be gay. You know, great, of course. I would never want to speak to the gay community, but I'm pretty sure that we could safely say they're fine. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> this was my issue because I, I read the 3,600 word essay on her blog. And um, the thing that really struck me about it was it, it seemed to come from this place of, of, as all bigotry does, of fear and slight self-absorption. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you actually read through it and she's like, well, my my dad wanted a boy and so I would have wanted to become a trans person. You know, no, you know, that's not how it works. And, and actually yeah. trying to sort of, relay your experience against someone who is you know genuinely going through that process their sexual realization I think is is just it's an attempt to empathy that's just missed all sympathy mm. <laughs> kind of in, in my opinion and and also you know if she really feels as strongly as she claims to because she's gone through that experience of, of you know, sexual violence and abuse, which, you know, is horrendous and you would wish on absolutely no one and having all of us experienced, you know, forms of that at some point. If that's what you want to get across, you have this amazing platform of, you know, saying, well, you know what, we need to police male against female violence in these public spaces. Target that as your argument. Do not target the trans community for that argument. And the other thing is, a lot of what Rowling, what she writes, reads like someone who has only communicated with uh, people of younger generations on Twitter. So she says, like, you know, there's one bit where she says, Robin got out her iPod. And I'm like, uh, this book is based in, like, you know, the, t the 2010s. That's not, people don't have iPods. She just seemed to have lost a little in the translation from young adult fantasy to you know, adult crime thriller. She, she just seems to have not quite... And you know what? It's tragic in a lot of ways because I adored The Casual Vacancy. I thought that that was a fantastic novel. She's capable of, of writing really poignant work um, and she's just chosen this opportunity, which a lot of people commented on to sort of shoehorn her political views. In her other book um career of evil they have um another thing she brings up is this uh she makes this i don't know if this is a real thing but um it's a transabled community which are the again like a bunch of like ultra woke kind of young people who are like 16 17 and want to have limbs removed because they believe that they are um like trans um disabled so they believe that they are truly meant to be disabled and that they want to you know like one of them thinks like i was truly not meant to have one leg and i'm supposed yeah, are you to kidding and things like that yeah so when you see it in the trans stuff in the context of that as well it's like really really disturbing that she How made she this get thing. this past editors like yeah. this is what i question right i almost i judge them more Mm. because they are reading an incomparable amount of 
manuscripts and obviously she is who she is but at the end of the day you know if she's writing these outlandish things I mean I remember you know we all adore Tiffany Rice yeah. And, um, you know, she writes very sort of taboo erotica and things like that. But, you know, she said she has a great difficulty getting some of this stuff past her editor. And so I don't understand why, you know, she's struggling to get snowballing past them. But yeah. <laughs> J.K. Rowling can write about, you know, people fetishizing disabled trans people. Like, it's just mind-blowing mind-blowing present them in a kind of nuanced light they're purely like attention-seeking young people who and they're seen as like really obnoxious and rude but like so over the top like laughably obnoxious yeah that was another thing I kind of wanted to cover is that this idea of like um the whole womanhood and femininity and and feminism thing because I think one of the things that she mentioned in her essay is that um uh, women are being reduced to uh, people who menstruate. So that's what she said, that, that apparently women are now supposed to be people who menstruate instead of women because uh, women isn't inclusive of non-biological women who are it could be male to female trans which I don't get personally because if you're trans and you're, you, you are transitioning to be a woman, then you're a woman. So in her essay, she... Um, relates kind of being a woman to people who menstruate only okay, so it's not a woman anymore infertile not a woman mm. anymore well what why the, have a family actually... member who doesn't menstruate even though she is of menstruation age as well for health reasons yeah. and, and there, there's so many different reasons why that might not be the case well, I, mean, well um, she, I think she was saying that she wanted to, that trans people want um, biological women to be only be referred to as women who menstruate. It's not that trans people think that only women who menstruate are women or she thinks that. It's that trans people want that distinction to be made. If you see what Yeah, I mean. there's a quote actually that I had from it, which is women must accept and admit that there is no material difference between trans women and themselves. She also, to paraphrase, um, said that she found arguments about femaleness not residing in the female sexed body and assertions that biological women don't have common experiences she found that misogynistic and regressive um <laughs> which personally I don't I can't speak for you guys and but I'm quite confident we're on the same page is that that's not my experience of being a woman personally I find it quite a welcoming you know fold to come into if you are with the right women you know like I don't feel any less of a woman, woman because I'm with trans women like how ridiculous does that even sound saying it out loud well, like this is the thing though isn't it because going back to what emma said earlier you're so right in the and and, and what you just said there christina like when as a woman when i am around cis men i inherently feel a little bit threatened um and you know of course, the whole not all men thing, we know, we know, but a lot of the time, especially if they're strangers, I will find a cis man to be quite intimidating. Whereas if I am with a transsexual woman, then I'm with a woman. Now, and I don't find that to be intimidating inherently. She does write that though. Like for argument's sake, the point of what she's saying with this Creed character is that he dresses as a woman to lure us women into a, a false sense of security, hey, because because the victims think they're with a woman and therefore drop their guard, which in a way is true. But it's so right what you say, Emma, that we know her views on this. We know what she's trying to say with this because of the, the article she wrote about how she's, she's scared that men pretending to be women or, or reflecting femininity like this character that is what she thinks trans people are. Of course, we know better than that. We know that trans people, a, a trans woman is a woman. But what she is saying in this article is that these these insidious men are going to put on the mask of a woman and they're going to they're going to trick us into trusting them and they're going to creep into our bathrooms. 
But then you have you have the platform to address that issue. And that was my point earlier. You know, it's like, well, address that issue. You know, you've been, J.K. Rowling's been a victim of sexual assault. She's very open about that. Address that issue. You have that platform to stand up for those women that are in the same boat, but instead you choose to attack a minority group. And, and that's why people have a problem. And being dismissive of that, it's quite gaslighting, really. Like, you know, it, it's not, it's not okay. I find it quite interesting that she places, and it was one of the reviews I read by, it was a Vox review, and they talked about biological destiny in it. And I thought it was really interesting. And another way in which I think it's quite transphobic is that she so pushes throughout this entire book in a way she doesn't really in the other books, how vital it is that and how central to biological women's lives this idea of children and childbirth and how like it's like an inevitability with every woman when I was reading it I kind of got this idea before I'd read the review because I thought everyone in this book seems quite obsessed with babies like there's Charlotte with her twins and she's painted in a really negative light because she rejects her twins and she rejects the fact she's had children and she's photoshopping out her cesarean scar which I found very crass that that you know Strike was like oh I saw her body and I was like boner alert and then she photoshopped her cesarean scar and I was like uh boner kill you know like, I thought that was very crass and disgusting and I thought also what kind of photoshop app do you have that it's just a blur across your belly when you try and photoshop out your scar like, get <laughs> charlotte was a very contentious character for me i don't know about you guys but i i found her quite a again a trope character no shock there you know the fact that she's this sort of like intelligent but slightly mentally unstable and therefore ever so attractive you know why mm. are we glamorizing mental illness as well <laughs> you and know? it was considering she's supposed to be this diehard feminist rowling i find it quite surprising that she was doing the old crazy ex-girlfriend trope of like she tried to kill herself again like okay well i was there for her again like (laughs) oh my god yeah you were there for her sitting there being irritated by the phone call of someone who was trying to kill themselves (laughs) i'm sorry because none of us are saying that they there aren't people that suffer with mental illness and that have made it really difficult for their partners and yeah so the the crazy x trope it happens that we aren't saying i mean i read out about real killers who dressed up in women's clothes to commit crimes it happens but did we really need this fictionalized in a book did we really need more negative representation of these tropes it got me thinking so i, I actually looked into a study that was done by GLAAD. They catalogued 102 portrayals of transgender characters since 2002. 54% were negative representations. Uh, 34% were problematic to good and only 12 were fair and accurate enough to earn a GLAAD Media Award nomination. Um, According to the study, trans people were depicted as victims 40% of the time and villains 21% of the time and anti-trans slurs and language were present in 61% of the catalogue representations. And the reason I looked into that was because I thought that if you have, as we've said, if if you have the, the... scope that you have as rolling if you have the fan base that you have you need to choose what kind of of characters you're writing like I just don't think we needed these characters from her no I agree yeah I mean and that was kind of my point earlier is it, it was a flimsy plot point at best that actually ended up linking the suspected serial killer to the person who ended up not being the killer that was spotted on the day of this cold case murder. And, you know, in the end, it was all irrelevant anyway. You know, and and so for me, if she was looking for, you know, if you're looking at it from a writer's perspective and you've decided the ending of your book, you know, you have options as to how to end that. There were ways that I feel she could have led the reader astray that wouldn't have been, frankly, so offensive to so many people. I will say say that I liked the twist. Um, I did like, and I know... (laughs) I know I'm quite easily pleased with the book, but I didn't. I was like, oh my God, so clever. I never saw that coming. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I didn't see it coming. I did, I did enjoy the twist because there were points where I was like, oh, it's Janice. No one's that nice. You know, she's she's red herring us. Is that an adjective? I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> and and then I went back to being like, oh no, no. Also, what I would like to say, Nan, if you do decide to figure out how podcasts work, I'm so sorry. But so many of the characters in this book reminded me of my nana, and maybe that's why I was kind of like <laughs> Oh Joan. I jokingly said to myself when Janice when he goes to Janice's for the first time and turns up at her front door before she knows, and she brings the tea in and she's pre-poured the milk. And I remember listening to that and joke as a joke to my sad little joke to myself thinking <laughs> she must be the killer because only a psychopath would put the milk in first <laughs> and then when she was the killer I was like you're fucking joking <laughs> you know what I never saw it coming I thought it was Irene I, I thought it was Irene like I said it earlier I'll say it again I thought it was Irene from the beginning because I thought she was controlling Jan's answers because Jan knew um yeah what it was um but yeah it makes a it's kind of in a way more satisfying that that it was Janice and not Irene because you know that Irene character really frustrated me and so the fact that she was sort of stymied at the end by you know the fact that her friend had been doing this to her the entire time for me there wasn't enough link you know, to him being ill to getting the chocolates to then figuring out that she was the killer. And then there was too much gap between him getting sick and then actually realizing who it was. It was just disappointing when we know what she can create. You know, we know how good a writer she can be. We know she can create a fantastic world, fantastic characters. We know she's got this imagination. We know that she's really good with language and with words. And so for me, it just feels like she's been allowed on a a technical level, she's been allowed to become lazy. On a philosophical level, I, I feel she maybe doesn't have enough people in her life kind of questioning her, her yeah. and pulling her up on her I think views. that's very true. I mean, just like the Star Wars pre- prequels, someone had to say, like, Lucas, this is this is, this is is shit, mate. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, where are your good friends? Like, where, where are the people in your life being like, eh, Wait, this is the thing I don't know if this is a good idea. So well-known now and so popular that, that maybe no one's there to pull her back. I mean, all of this started, lest we forget. So I'm a massive Potter fan. I have a Harry Potter tattoo. I love Harry Potter. Um, and all of this started when she started to add things to the Harry Potter universe on Twitter, you know, meta things outside of the universe. It was, oh, I never wrote Dumbledore to be gay. I gave him absolutely no representation in the gay community, but uh, he's gay. He's gay, by the way. Because, you know, that, yeah, that's I thought true. that also, right, at the time. There was a time back in the day where J.K. Rowling was like a Twitter icon. Everyone loved her tweets because she was as far as we knew such a lefty and she would you know slam these right-wing guys and she would reply to them and we'd all be like yeah jk and then when she started putting all this stuff about, i love yeah her. for sure and then when she started putting all this stuff about the potter universe people just kind of like okay i guess like i wish you'd have put that in the book and then you know obviously the the origins film with jude law that was meant to be about dumbledore's life is is meant to be coming out and we were kind of like okay so we're gonna get some gay representation right now because it's all bollocks she never (laughs) wrote any of those characters to be anything like what she wrote she was just trying to appease the younger generation and and the left going completely wildly off topic (laughs) can we talk about because we both felt we all I think felt a certain kind of way about the Dennis Creed interview in the book how did we all feel about that I really want to talk about that Yeah, I was actually really interested by the interview. So uh, she has this thing she does where she juxtaposes the character that you see in front of you, which seems to be uh, a human, the the same as you and harmless. And then she she writes about the thing that this person's done. So I'm not quoting here, I'm paraphrasing, but she'll write something like the overweight man in, in front of, what's his name? Scroat? Shaft. Strike. this is like my second drink i did read the book um (laughs) (laughs) why did you call him before you called him like like if for whatever reason you decide you're going to carry on listening to this podcast i cannot remember names i can't i can't remember anything earlier it's so good. I'm going to find them because you know with so many different I called names. him Jock and then I called him Spanx, I think. And then... Yes, yes, yeah. Jock, Sparky, Spark. 
spark that was it spark and spank i don't know what it is it's strike isn't it right okay it's strike (laughs) there's a bit this is also what i'm about to talk about is really serious and i've just completely railroaded myself right there's a bit where strike the protagonist of the piece is interviewing Dennis Creed and there's a sentence in there where uh, Rowling's written uh, the overweight man in front of Strike, uh, you know, chuckled and the same man that gouged the eyes out of whoever and she'll she'll put this thing before another thing and she'll give you this juxtaposition to point out that you know, humans can be secretly and inherently and insidiously evil. And what actually took me aback about this book was it lulls you almost into a false sense of security throughout and then suddenly you're getting these very graphic descriptions of torture um seemingly out of the blue because it almost seemed the like she wasn't really going to go into detail and then in that interview she goes into quite a lot of detail like I remember the bit about where that he burns the soles of their feet and and hits their breasts with electrical wire and isn't there something isn't there something about eye gouging there's it's there's a lot in there um yeah, and like a radiator or something. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it can be quite hard to read. Um, and I'm a huge horror fan. Mm. I'm a huge. I don't like to say true crime fan because I don't. You know, they're not people that I like. I'm just interested in it. Not a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not such a like fan of your work. People that go on Dharma tours and are like, oh, if I'd have met him, he'd have been different. I wish he'd have married me. But. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're gross and scary and I hate them, but I am interested in the psychology behind it. Um mm. so at that point I kind of perked up a little bit and was like, oh okay, but yeah, she's actually daring to go into some detail here. It was it's it was quite macabre. What did you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I mean it screamed mind hunter to me, which I love. I love that series so much. Um it seemed quite gratuitous, I will say that. Um it didn't so much it, it seemed to sort of add to his sort of sinisterness without actually having to bother to create tension within the present of day of the scene, if that makes sense. Jerome, Jerome Brudos, who I mentioned earlier, was actually featured on Mindhunter on the Netflix series. He's the guy with the shoes. Oh, really? Oh. Wait, it, so I'm just trying so to think about that him. series now. Okay. Yeah, so you remember well, they, they bring, so they bring him the sense. shoes and then he kind of, you know, has a bit of hands a glam combat in the corner and then he's willing to talk to them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that makes sense yeah okay. that's him. Um, um who is apparently an inspiration for the character the other books uh the one i've just read career of evil there is a part and you know when um you're talking about a series with someone and then you put on one episode and it's always the episode that has like a graphic sex scene or something embarrassing and i had said to matt oh, i'm listening to these books and everything and we were driving back down on quite a long journey and i put the audiobook on and it was a scene where the killer from the killer's perspective has um hacked off uh one of his victims breasts and her fingers and he gets out one of her severed fingers and very graphically has um private time with this finger while sort of biting it and eating it this severed finger so it's like necrophilia um you know masturbation uh cannibalism all in one scene and we just picked up some sandwiches from an <laughs> it was so graphic and i was really like i'm not that squeamish at all normally and listening to it but especially in his you know the guy who reads all the accents bless him and his you know <laughs> elongated shaft and all of this really graphic i said i'll put my headphones in <laughs> so it's not uh, even the most graphic thing that she's written but i thought god it's a far cry from her no, the thing is though I, do, I, 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 I hate to say this without sounding like a bit of a weirdo but that is the kind of books i like to read like one of my favorite authors is clive barker and his whole thing is is graphic graphic detail and mm. I, I do appreciate that she's willing to go there. I don't know what this says about me as a person, okay? <laughs> I, it didn't shock me. Like I, I didn't feel sort of like hor- horrified by what she'd written. It, if anything, it perked my ears up because by that point I was quite frankly bored. It did feel a little bit out of kilter with the style of the book to that point. Is yeah. I suppose more what I'm trying to say. 
Um, but if anything, I sort of thought, oh, okay, you know, she, she's actually getting a little bit more involved than I thought she would. But it, it just took her, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages to actually get there. It made me uh, more empathetic towards the victims because I think we get desensitized because we, we hear about terrible things happening to women, unfortunately, every day. And when she started yeah, going into true. these graphic details, especially um, the, the GP, whose name, of course, was uh, Mallory. Margot. We all had a few drinks. I think you're true. So much that her name escapes me. No, I can't name. <laughs> Why don't you come on over, Mallory? <laughs> <laughs> Also, am I the only every Disney song ever recorded? But the name of the book that I just sunk thirty hours of my life into, or any of its characters, nothing. Can I just say, throughout the entirety of reading this nearly a thousand-page book, the only thing that went through my mind was, "And now we got trouble, blood. Oh well, we used to be mad love. It's in my head for weeks. (laughs) I fucking hate myself." (laughs) You said you didn't like the happy ending. Oh, I, me. I, yeah, no, I, I didn't know. Well, I mean, it wasn't really a happy ending, was it? They went into a shop together. Like, How long like that. do we have to wait for Strike to give her one, for fuck's I'm, sake? This is book five, okay? Like, poor cow hasn't had any action. It, it's too drawn out now. The tension is too much. I just want some crazy hot scene where they just rip each other's clothes off he hasn't even grabbed a tit like i'm just confused (laughs) like you imagine the narrator reading that and he i grabbed her tit i grabbed (laughs) her tit cornish accent i I, this is what i can't read i I can't listen to audiobooks i don't know how you two do it maybe i liked like whose name i can now remember so much because he sounded like hagrid (laughs) he does sound like hagrid <laughs> but now I don't want to imagine Hagrid getting all like sexually aroused in an office. Like, I have a crush on Hagrid. It's super odd. <laughs> <laughs> He's so big, it would oh. be weird. <laughs> I can't unlearn that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> she but definitely has issues with people being. Uh, overweight you know robin's trying to like not eat anything and then she's like oh and i just caved and had a a brownie or whatever and then you know the way that he she portrays um creed is like so grotesque because he's overweight and so disgusting and it's like this all it's it, even una when she's at the at the um fortnum mason and like stuffing herself with cappuccinos and cake and she's like oh she was so great you know have her rolls of fat and i'm like oh it's yeah, she was brilliant. I loved her. But she's also based on one of the characters from the Fairy Queens. There's a character who's meant to represent like the Catholic Church, who is called, I think she's called Luna as well, but not those spelled. Those little interludes were about, because I was like, I don't get the relevance. They were kind of summarising in a way. It gave you like a little sort of clue as to what was going to go on in each chapter. But overall, it added nothing for me. <laughs> they didn't resonate with me either. I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm an uncultured swine, but they didn't. Um, there are great reviews online of people who've gone into a lot of detail about how each fairy queen character relates to a part oh, of the wow. book and things like that. So I think it's just basically what you said, like an introduction to each cap- chapter. I did just find it came off a bit pretentious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just a little bit like, oh, look how clever I am, you know. And I think that, you know, that would have been fine if, if parts of the story were, were more intelligent maybe i have been saying that word um, allegory my whole life is that not how you say it allegory i am embarrassed <laughs> because i brought that <laughs> word up in so many conversations amongst cultured friends <laughs> what's the story in you allegory wouldn't um, you like to know <laughs> <laughs> so much of it it was it was good you know i, I think for me it was worth three stars but no yeah, more I'd, than I'd, that, I'd also know, give it three the, stars. I think that's fair. Mm. But Emma, what about you? I think I'd give it probably three stars as well. I don't Actually, think I'm it was... Sorry, go on. That's okay. That's okay. Go on. <laughs> you Leo I bitch. I just love the sound of my own voice so much. It's literally being recorded back into my ears and it's like... I could <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say maybe, maybe two, 2.5 actually. 
Just one last thing I, I would be quite good to discuss is I'd be quite interested to what you to hear what you guys think about the um, portrayal of sex workers and porn, because there's a lot of mention of it and it's not very positive. So the only like, firstly, there's there's well, I've got a list here that we can discuss because you know that's me. Uh, I so, love that. So there's love really the lists. <laughs> lift gal so there's um this like gangster richie and his like a violent past and then how it's interlinked with porn and like the creation of porn and then the snuff film that he does and then margot bambara claiming to be a feminist and then working as a bunny girl and it's seen as like earning money but she's still beholden to men's sexual desires and then she's ultimately killed because of her associations with men so janice's infatuation with Douthwaite you know strike is even in this book compared to the other ones he's very lurid like leering at pictures of charlotte and like naked pictures of her and and robin leaning over the desk there's always mentions of that and then satchel and he's abusive with the naked pictures and talbot creating his creature that's the abomination like oh bamphamet sexually liberated women like disgusting and all of this and it just seems like porn and overt sexuality is always painted in the light of either women being victimized or kind of sexual threat and things like that it'd just be interesting to hear from you guys perspective i find it interesting that i would go as far as to say rowling's most grotesque depiction or description rather of a character uh is the ex-sex worker that's in the old people's home Oh my god, yes, that was so grim and disrespectful. Like her whole room stank of piss and she cackled and her yellow teeth and how she hated Robin and it was all over like viciously like all over strike. And I was like, dude, that's so disrespectful. She really like, writes her with a, a, a kind of venom that she doesn't have for a lot of mm. other characters. She 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 mm. really like I understand that when you're writing a book you have to write a whole uh a whole cast of characters hey you have to write all kinds of different people and sure there's room in there for for characters that may be unappealing on the surface but she really goes to to lengths to to describe how unpleasant this elderly woman is who has been left in a care home on her own and there's there's no yeah Yeah. there's no it's just like oh this woman stunk and she's vulgar and her teeth were yellowed and she and her tits are out, and it's like Jesus Christ, she's like she's an old woman, bless her. And then, and then the the cherry on top of the shit cake for me was when the food comes, and it's yet again Rowling is like, and she was slobbering over her food and could barely even listen to Stripe because her dinner had arrived. And I was like, okay, now we're back to fat shaming, yeah, are we? Like, the thing cool. is, if I could have dealt with it, <laughs> if I could have dealt with it if it was just just her talking about Robin Robin being on a diet and wishing she could have slutty food because god knows i've been on a diet and been really jealous and hated people that are eating cake i've been there i've been on a diet and i've been like how dare you be able to enjoy that cake i want that cake and now i personally hold you responsible for my misery and my fatness (laughs) i've been there but it's a real theme throughout the book i mean i suppose you said i was going to say an undeniable correlation between um negative characters and and obesity but i suppose una is portrayed quite positively um but she's still portrayed yeah, as greedy. Yeah. like when she's at the she's like can i have another coffee and i'm sorry having a coffee and a piece of cake and then saying oh i quite fancy another cappuccino that's not like she's not scoffed a dozen crispy creams she treats it like she's literally <laughs> like jab of the heart and it's like she just had two coffees <laughs> and a piece of cake and also it's just very stereotypical <laughs> speaking from a modicum of of experience uh, I suppose um when you're actually writing characters you know you never like put that much emphasis behind something unless it's coming from a, a personal experience in my opinion um, and so I don't know what the deal is there with her and, and the history of that but diet. you know when she wrote it maybe she was on a diet maybe maybe she was on a diet maybe she had a bad experience with an ex-sex worker I just feel like it was a little 
the whole thing was very one dimensional for me when it didn't need to be. And she's capable of not writing it that way. If anything, what this tells us is that the original review about the gammon parade, the gammon brigade, <laughs> that was it, not parade. <laughs> gammon parade. No, sounds like a story party conference. <laughs> I also found Robin to be very. In the other books, she's a victim of this horrendous rape and then she gets attacked by one of the murderers in the book and she gets her arm sliced up. But she's very feisty and tough and she often defies, well, she defies strike in a big way at one point. But then in this book, she was very, I've mentioned they're not washing things, so I'm not going to go into that again, but she was... <laughs> very snivelling kind of shrinking back everyone was eating her chocolates which i resented greatly everyone seemed to be whenever she got chocolates people were just fucking eating them which i thought was a disgrace and she just wasn't literally all she and also why is everyone in the book always vomiting like why are people just there's so much vomit if something stresses me out i will just do a sick i'm a big Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's true to life then. Maybe they're just sickers. But surely if someone stole your chocolate, you would be angry. Robin, going in, she has literally a flat with a, a flatmate who only just started liking her. And then she invites Strike and her whole family there. They bring up her rape in front of her. And all she does is just sit at the table feeling a bit lightheaded and then fucks off. And I was like, I'm sorry. If, so, if I'd been violently raped and stabbed and a bunch of people came in, ate all the food, Strike just eats everything in sight. And then he comes in <laughs> drunk, pisses all over the place. And he's like, you know, Oh, you're waiting outside the toilet. Like, this is horrendous. It's Hagrid, basically, I've realised. It's sexy Hagrid. Drunk, and... sexy Hagrid. <laughs> so sexy Hagrid goes upstairs and just insults her. Everyone insults her. And she just literally goes, <laughs> and just shrinks back, like, at the dinner table. She's <laughs> just running around getting everyone coffee and pouring them wine. And I'm like, what are you doing, Robin? In the other books, she's so strong and feisty. And she's like, right, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go do that. And then in this, she just doesn't wash and lets everyone walk all over over her and it didn't really feel like character development to me it just felt like she was this perpetual victim you know what, which i hated i think you know? this is gonna have to be one of those very rare occasions where i disagree with you because we did we agree on most things but what i would say is i don't know about her characterization in the other books but i think that because sexual assault and rape is such a personal and unnecessarily shameful subject when someone brings it up your initial reaction to it is to just shut it down so to make a bigger reaction and to respond to it exacerbates the situation and, and it puts the, the 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 public eye on you more so sometimes if if that kind of thing is is brought up you do just want to kind of go like oh just just sh- sh- stop it it's ruining the night I'm ruining the night because it's about me and it's my fault of course it isn't but that's how mm. you feel so I, I actually really empathized with her in that when they do start because they're all pissed hey and they're all having a good time and they're just as it is when you get drunk we all know this you start putting the world to rights and you say your opinion on this and your opinion on that she's not that drunk hey so she's just kind of playing host and then suddenly this very personal very private very painful thing for her is brought up and I think she just wants it to go away that's a really interesting point I hadn't thought about it that way I mean I've not had any experience like that that I've been I've been shameful of like it's never it's something that I've had to deal with so you're absolutely right I guess that you know you you would feel like that you just want it to stop in terms of I get completely what you're saying Sid actually and I, I'm inclined to sort of agree a little bit but the one thing that I would say is that I found quite difficult to align with that and with then the history of, I mean, obviously, even without reading the other series, you know that she's been raped when for the reading this book. The thing that I found difficult to align is that she had all these people invading her space and she kind yeah. of allowed that to oh, happen. For sure. And and yeah, and, and that I struggled with because, you know, as someone who's gone through, you know, in, invasive you know sexual attack etc you know as she has in the book it seemed sort of out of character to then just sort of be accepting of the fact that people are then just sort of inviting themselves into her personal qu- quiet private space like it just yeah. seemed a yeah, bit out of that. out of line with that yeah it's also such a personal thing you know some people want to shrink away and then some people react very in a very volatile yeah. manner we know from her essay that you know 
um, J.K. Rowling had issues with that in her own life. And so she's probably drawn from her own experience of, of behaving around that. And that will relate to a lot of people that have had similar experiences. That being said, it won't to others. So again, it did. It was another example of, you know, strike rocking up and just being drunk and disgusting. And then why is she still sort of wildly in love with him in that moment? Why is she having a passionate argument with him about like why he isn't treating her properly when he's actually just vomiting in the street? (laughs) Surely you would just be like, "Um, get out of my fucking flat and don't come back. And, you know, not like, why don't you love me? In that moment, it's not I right. mean, I guess, like, I don't know if you guys have seen the horror film Mother, where a bunch of people just coming keep coming into her house and she's like, oh, I'll just clean it up and stay quiet. And as the viewer, you're like, no, scream at these people, throw them out. This is ridiculous. Stop doing that, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> it's kind of a similar thing there. But, I mean, at the same time, like, I feel like I've, been interested in someone and then let them off for a lot of shit especially if they're drunk and they're being gross it's like oh well mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna, oh but i love yeah, it yeah <laughs> hey, even like a best friend you're like ah you're a mess but you're my mess so maybe it's, uh, yeah. oh thanks <laughs> <I'm fine too. laughs> i feel really seen right now <laughs> i feel so seen do we think the harshest reviews were reasonable some of them and not all of them uh, you know I, I would be inclined to agree that I think I, I would say Mama Bear 19 <laughs> I would be inclined to agree with the length was the biggest complaint versus after the trans issue and I, I would say that is a problem um, but I do have issue with people sort of rating the book without having read it and I think we're quite a good example of that. You know, we've all read it. We've researched it in in a reasonable amount of depth and we all feel reasonably differently about it. Yeah, I feel the same. I think that the the reviews that I thought were harshest were the people who were coming in and saying, don't read this book because J.K. Rowling is transphobic. And I think that if you're going to write that kind of review, you have every right to. And J.K. Rowling, in my opinion, is transphobic. But read the yes. book and state the reasons why the book is transphobic. And the entire series of books is actually geared towards this kind of biological women are have this sacred destiny that is infallible and you know trans women and are trying to steal that from you that's incredibly transphobic to say it's not but that you know you have to read the book and get to the crux of it it's important that we do it's not difficult in this day and age to borrow a book from a friend to go to a charity shop and, and buy a copy for a pound do you know what I mean and if you don't want to endorse the book you can you don't really have to you know if you want to read it um, you can still read it and then come at it from an educated and informed point of view in terms of why you dislike it and what's wrong with it. And there's a lot wrong with it. I mean, let's be honest. It's quite dangerous, really, I think, in this day and age for uh, this popular an author to be putting across these kinds of views. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm not a fan of book burning. I don't think we should start burning books because I think that's a little bit too close to censorship and that's not what we're here for. Um, th- there needs to be works in this world that we don't necessarily care for so that we can look at them and learn from our mistakes. And I think maybe this is one of them. Uh, I wouldn't say that if you were to take this book and you didn't know who wrote it, I wouldn't say that there's anything in it that is stand out you know anti-trans propaganda however I do think it's a transphobic piece of work because we know so much about the author and we know that she's very transparently transphobic the text is too close to the author at this point and she's made too much of a name for herself for it to be anything other than what it is um as far as the writing goes I I enjoyed most of the book I should say so I think that I'm 2.5 50% half half is probably about right so what are your thoughts we want to hear from you leave a comment or tag us through Instagram at bookmarks and booze or email us at bookmarks and booze at outlook.com thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more books booze and brutal book reviews bye